Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Cedric Hawkins. Welcome to the Said Talks podcast. My guest today is a student at the School of Visual Arts in Manhattan, New York. She's a creative individual, someone who's persevered in her life, and I'm proud to have her on the show today. Right now, here is Grace Pamela. Grace, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, how have you been? How has life been treating you? It's been really great. Um, I'm having a really good time at school, and everything's going well. So, yeah, not much to complain about. Right, yeah, absolutely. I know with the pandemic... Oh, I've been great. Just been <laughs> chilling, work, school, just trying to balance everything and live life as best as I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know, the, I know the one thing I've been, like, working on is, like, trying to balance work and then rest. Like, that's probably, like, the biggest thing I've been trying to balance because I always have my priorities in check and there's nothing wrong with doing everything you're supposed to do. But mm-hmm. you should also have time to rest at the same time, which is what I've been trying to teach myself and not overdo it. I don't know if you struggle with that also, but that's something yeah. internally I've been working on. Definitely. Yeah. I've been trying to, like, instill a morning routine into my schedule, so... I'm trying to, like, you know, do yoga in the morning and journal and, like, relax a little bit before heading on with the day and stuff. Yeah, I implemented a morning routine back in January, I want to say. So it's like I wake up and I eat breakfast or I do homework for a little bit and then I go work out and then that's how I pretty much start my day. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I'll take a break on the weekends and rest for, like, two days and then get back on it again. But it's weird how I learned that having a routine, it pretty much keeps you structured and you feel really organized yeah some days I'll like forget to do it and I just feel so much worse it's so great to just have that little amount of structure it's so yeah perfect (laughs) yeah do you have like little I know you said you journal do you do you map out everything that you do um uh I kind of just like journal about my day and like I try to write a little bit every day because I am in film school so I try to do like I don't know, write a little bit of a script every day or read a little bit of a book or something just to keep my brain moving in like a different direction other than school. Yeah, I feel you. Sticky notes are my thing. That's how I journal thing. And mm. I'm also, I'm a writer also. So if I'm at work and, and and if I get inspired to do something, I'll take out my little notepad and jot something down and write it down just to keep the creative mind of mine still flowing to make sure I don't forget anything. Mm. Yeah. In the middle of the pandemic or what we're still going through the pandemic, how how is you how have you really relied on your family? What do they mean to you? Oh, uh, I know it's cheesy, but like they mean everything to me. I love all my sisters. I have four sisters. Um, they're all a lot older than me. My sister Veronica's 30. My sister Mary's 29. My sister Maddie is 27 and my sister Caroline is 26. And then I'm 19. So pretty big age gap but somehow we're still like extremely close and we all talk all day every day and we have uh like sister dinner every week or at least we try to some weeks when the pandemic was super bad we like wouldn't see each other but yeah Yeah. (laughs) I love my family and I love my dad too we all adore my dad yeah that's that's pretty cool I know like you know being so 
far away, having a distance in age, like usually that would create a disconnect between some siblings. But that's awesome mm-hmm. that you still have that connection with them and you all relate to each other in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we all talk every day. And three of my sisters also live in New York with me. So we'll like try to hang out as much as possible and stuff. Obviously, with the pandemic, it's a little harder, but I still try to see them as much as possible. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. I know my brother, he is five years younger than me, so there's a five-year age Mm -hmm. gap. But I still try to connect with them in ways that I can. Like, I'll talk about anime with him. I'm really not into anime like that. There's (laughs) other people, but I don't mind learning stuff from him. And then my cousins, we're all, like, brothers because we're all, like, one year apart. So pretty much we're, like we're linked together like that and there's like no disconnect between us even though like I'm the youngest in the group so even though there's like a disconnect in age like we're still close and connected together mm-hmm. yeah yeah do you still feel like you'll still maintain that bond with your sisters as time goes on and the more you get busy with school and work and everything you still feel like you'll have that connection with them I feel like our bond has gone even stronger like over the years because when I was like around 10 or like five or so they were like 16 so it was a more like we had different lives at that point um so it's interesting to like be in their situation going and seeing oh when Mary was 19 she was doing this and now I'm doing this and it's so I feel like I I learn more about them as I grow up and reach the ages that they were and like what I thought of them at that age it's really cool yeah I agree like touching back on with my cousins how I'm the youngest in the group it's like when I hit the age that they were at like years ago it seems like I'm doing the same thing that they're doing and I'm maturing just like they are so it's freaky how life works in itself and how you mature and develop over time I think you should mature and develop over time you shouldn't still be acting like a 15 year old at 19 or 20 but I find that fascinating also that you can relate to them as you continue to age and develop Yeah, definitely. And also, like, going back to that, like, with our bond and stuff, I feel like um, over time also it's just become, like, more special. Like, we all support each other more because when we were younger, we'd all, like, bicker a little bit more. Right. We were with each other and on each other's toes all the time. So it's been really cool to see us all, like, we have our own space, we have our own lives, but then when we get together, it's, like, a really special, like, experience. Right. In terms of your interests and goals, are they all the same or are you each different in your shared hobbies and passions and what you all want out of life? So my two older sisters, um, Mary and Veronica, also work in film just like I want to. And my sister Maddie and her boyfriend Brian are starting to get their foot in the door with working in film as well. And so like with that, I think that like we're all kind of connected. But my sister Caroline it's kind of the odd one out regarding, like, film and also location. She lives in D.C. while we live in New York. And she's more into, like, writing poetry and reading literature. And she was, like, an English major. Ah, like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She wanted to be a teacher for a really long time, too. So, yeah, she's a real bookworm. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so. But we, we all love to be outside. And we, like, share, like, a common interest of, like, exercise and fitness. Mm-hmm. And, um. Yeah, so me and my sister Mary and my sister Maddie have, like, recently been, like, surfing in New York because there's, like, a little surf scene in Long Island. Ah, interesting. And it's been super fun to surf um, in, like, the cold, like, because I was, I started surfing in October, and I was like, it's too cold to surf, why would I go? But then once you put the wetsuit on, you're not cold at all. Um, which is surprising, but it was really fun. Um, but I did get caught in a riptide <laughs> while yeah. we were surfing. Luckily, we survived because Maddie's boyfriend, Brian, saved us. But it was terrible because everyone, like, swam out to get me. And then they all got stuck in the riptide as well. It was crazy. Yeah, but. That, that's, like, my main fear of oceans is getting caught in a riptide and just not being able to get out. Like, that. Oh that, my God. that's what it keeps me away from the ocean. Like, I can remember being a kid always wanting to be a scuba diver. Like, oh, I want to swim in the ocean. And then you hear these stories about people getting caught in riptides and they drown. And it's like, no, I think I'm fine doing that. It's scary. I didn't realize how severe it was until afterwards. Right. <laughs> but then I was like, whoa. Right. <laughs> that would have been terrible. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah, we also all love to run. And I did cross country and track in high school. And my two sisters, Maddie and Mary, have ran several marathons. So 
Oh, Maddie also ran a super marathon, which is a 50K. I used to run 5Ks for cross country. 50K is literally 10 times the amount of a 5K, which is insane. And she took third place, which I'm so proud of her for that. But yeah, um, my mom loved doing marathons, so that's I think where we get it from. Yeah, it's 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 nice being able to talk to someone who actually likes to run. Like I'm a runner; that's my yeah. main mean of exercising. So in the winter, it was devastating not being able to run in the cold, and especially I don't even have a treadmill in my basement anymore, and so that was tough. But it seems like every guest that I have on, they like going to the gym and lifting and stuff. So it's refreshing to talk to someone that <laughs> loves to run so much. Do your does your brother like to run? No, he he stays in the house. I can't get him out the house to save his life. Do you have any hobbies that you share with him or interests? Uh, just video games, pretty much. But besides mm-hmm. that, it's like a disconnect. And that's funny because thinking about me and my cousins, it's like I'm the odd one out. Like I like to read, I like to write, do poetry and all that stuff, and just do stuff on my own. They they love football and basketball. Like they'll meet up and they'll play basketball on the court. I hate that. Mm-hmm. Like I hate basketball. I like. <laughs> I like to watch it casually, but as far as, like, playing it, I'm not as athletic on the court like that. And so it used to be a hard time because I always wanted to hang with them, but I used to hate, you know, playing basketball. But we all created a balance to where I I can still hang out with them while also they can respect my boundaries and know that Seth has his own interests in mind and we're not going to judge him for it. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's pretty cool to be able to have close bonds relationships with family and still be so different at the same time think differently but yet still stay close yeah it's really special yeah i'm really happy that i i'm so lucky that's like the only word i can describe it as right what was your relationship like with your mother like what was that like looking back on it so um i think that it's like hard for me to remember kind of because she like passed when i was really young but um like, from what I heard and what I, like, the little pieces I remember, like, I was the youngest, so I was her baby, and she adored me, and I adored her, and I, like, couldn't leave her side. I refused to sleep in my room because I'd be away from her. Like, I, I think until, like, until she passed, I slept in her room, so, like, till I was 10, I would always stay in her room. I, I had a room. I had a really pretty room, actually, but I refused to stay in it, um, and, yeah, I think that the reason, like, I can't remember anything is, like, because of her passing. Like, I, like, most of my sisters don't remember, uh, the, like, like, we just have a really bad memory, I guess, um, about everything. It's not just her, um, but I just remember how I felt. I don't remember the moment, I guess. So, like, I, I remember I felt happy and loved and special, um, and I, all you can think, like, once a parent has passed is just, like, stories, just stories upon stories upon stories, like, all you think about is, oh, remember that one time, or oh, this like this time was so funny when we did that thing, you know. And that's all I think about. But so even though I have a bad memory, I've been going through my home videos recently and digitizing them and putting them on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and all my memories are brought brought back to me. Like we have hundreds of tapes and hours of footage, and I just remember like my sisters would shoot movies on the camcorder ever since they were young. So. I, I've been able to piece her back together a little bit more than I used to, but, um, yeah, it's it's been really nice to look at the footage because while going through it, like, I realized why we all do film now because <laughs> all we would do is make movies, um, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's nice. I know with me, with my great-grandparents, I only remember them when they were sick. My, grand, my great-grandfather, he had a stroke, so he couldn't really talk to me during my adolescence. Yeah. And then my great-grandmother, she had Alzheimer's, and she just passed away after a 11- to 12-year battle with it. So she didn't remember much of me, but it's like the only vivid memory I have of them is giving me a banana when I was like four or five <laughs> years old. And um, my aunt, she was able to find footage of like, this camcord footage from the 60s and 70s of just them going around the house and just filming everything, just filming them Mm. in everyday situations and settings. And it's cool because now I can see them in a different way than when they were sick. And so it's nice to be able to have those memories, even like, it's crazy. Like, I mean, the footage looks so great for something recorded in the 60s and 70s. So I think that's incredible to be able to reflect on that. I love working with camcorders because it it really was so special to have one at that time. And so it's super interesting to see, like, what life was like and how people 
were reacting to the camera and how like present everyone was. It's really cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, one memory that sticks out to me about my mom is like, she was super witty and super funny and she makes Calvert County look so fun in the videos that I've seen. And I'm just like, I, I would never have thought to do the things she would do in the town, even though they're very simple things. She just made everyday tasks super fun. Like I was looking at one the other day and it's just, we were all eating dinner and then all of a sudden everybody bursts into a dance party and it was just so fun. I don't know. Everything about it made me so nostalgic and miss that time, but I'm, yeah, it was really happy to look upon. Yeah. My aunt, my mom and my aunt's sister, she passed away when I was two and a half going on three. So obviously I don't have any memories of her whatsoever. And then my cousin, he was a baby too. So he doesn't have those memories of her. And I'm sure we were around her lots of times, but it's just that that memory isn't there. So it's nice to hear stories from her and hear how witty and comical she was. And mm-hmm. my mom would tell me like the traits of my cousins, that's pretty much their mother in a nutshell and how they were and how she was. So it's like, the stories is very fascinating, and that's how their memory and their legacy lives on pretty much is through those stories. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I always get, like, told, oh, my gosh, you're so you're acting so much like your mom right now or something like that from just people, like older people that know my mom or something. And it's, it's really interesting to hear because it's things that I wouldn't think were like her, but I – and then I remember her a little bit better, and I'm like, oh, I, I guess I am a lot like her in some ways. So I just didn't even realize it, you know? Yeah. Leading up to her passing, how did that affect you from a mental standpoint? Was it sudden or was it something that gradually happened over time? So she was in a very serious car accident a couple months before she passed. And I remember going to the hospital to see her after her accident and she was all injured. And I knew things would be very different from then on. I remember thinking I'd have to grow up super quickly and help my mom more and do more things for myself and I also like began to rely on my dad more so it kind of once she passed made the transition a little less hard because I was already more reliant on my dad at that point because just for things even as simple as driving me to soccer practice my mom was physically unable to so my dad would do it and he I feel so bad for him because he just was always busy either with he's a crazy worker he's a very hard worker so he'd like go from work to my practice to my other sister's practice to my other sister's practice because there's five of us you know so it was a lot but after that after the accident she was in and out of the hospital a lot and I would visit her and so I knew her health was like frail but I wasn't prepared for when she passed it was a shock but um yeah in some ways like the accident made me realize that she wasn't going to be 100% ever again, which was a really hard thing to go through. Right. Yeah. I would say with my dad's passing, because we're coming up on six months now, you know, later Mm -hmm. on next week, I think, yeah, next Sunday, it'll be six months. And Mm -hmm. that was very sudden. I mean, nobody expected it. You know, looking back Mm -hmm. on it, I can tell he was sick, like he was losing weight. And I just attribute that to, oh, he's just maybe just getting older or He's on a diet and his face looked kind of older and it's like, oh, he's just he's getting old. And then you, you come home from work and you expect you know him to be there. And then you get that knock on the door from the police. And it's just it was very sudden. Like I had no time really whatsoever to prepare for it. It just hit me in that moment. So it's like at the same time, I'm blessed to have 20 years of memories with him. But, you know, at the mm-hmm. same time. There's still a lot of things that are left unsaid that I wish I could have said. Yes, exactly. It's just a lot of, like, puzzle pieces that you're trying to put together, trying to, like, understand. Like, when somebody dies, they leave, like, you with all these memories, but and, like, they leave a piece of themselves with you, but you also are left, like, when they've passed, they take a piece of you with you, so you get kind of all wrapped up in a weird way and you feel like a part of you is missing because it is it's really it's a hard thing to go through it is yeah thank you and it's like it really was like I had to really pick up the pieces and you know carry on as hard as it is I can't say it was because I'm still going through with it because I had to keep going to college I had to keep going to work after the second and third week and it's almost like people expect you to 
you know, you know, sometimes be at your best. And that was that that was tough. Like, I'm blessed to have gotten through that period of time. But it's like I'm still going through it currently. Yeah, there's this book that I've been reading about trauma and grief, and it's called The Body Keeps the Score. And in it, uh, like one of the quotes it says in it is just it really sticks in my brain is it's something about like it was how can horrific experiences or how horrific experiences cause people to stay in the past and it really is you're just stuck like you're frozen you can't move you can't like think any differently you're just really stuck uh when that person was still there and it's it has really stuck with me that quote right yeah when she passed away did you get any closure before she left were you able to say some things that you wanted to say to her beforehand um I don't really remember. Right. Like it, it's, it gets really tricky sometimes because I right, right. I have such a bad memory. But um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I mean, she knew I loved her. I think the last words I said to her were "I love her." But that's the one thing that I really wish I remembered is the last thing I said to her. I remember I was like, she said she was going to go to bed early, and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go hang out with my friends. And then I left. But I think I said I love you before I left. And I think that's the last thing we said to, get to each other. But I, I don't remember, which really sucks because I want to know. I, I wish I remembered. Yeah, but, that's that's the same with me with my memory of, you know, like the 24 hours in between before my dad passed. Like, I think that night, you know, he was in the kitchen and I was in the kitchen, too. And we were just, you know, shuffling around, doing things, talking back and forth. But I can't really remember the conversation we had. And my dad wasn't the type to, hey, son, let's sit down and talk about how you're feeling today. Like, let's talk about, you know, your emotions. You know, I don't think I really ever said I love you, you know, to him. I think. I probably did over text and then he probably wouldn't say it back to me, but it was through his actions that made me know that he loved. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, Hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Me. And then, you know, that morning of, I could hear him in the kitchen talking and I was in my room and I wasn't, I wasn't ready to come out of my room. It's, it's, it's early in the morning. I didn't feel like getting up. And he was just in the kitchen on his way to work. And then, you know, I didn't, I didn't see him, and so mm-hmm. that 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 hurts, and then that stings. I get, didn't get to see him, you know, alive for that final period. So, like, that's that's my memory. Yeah, I I remember like also just I although I obviously am heartbroken that she passed away so young in my life. In some ways, it is like I'm trying to see a silver lining with it, and right. it makes me happy that. I was so young in some ways because it made our relationship and our love so pure. There was nothing, there was no like teenage fight that I had with her or anything that like could have ruined what we had, which makes it so upsetting. But also like it makes my heart warm to know that we just had such a pure loving relationship. Like the only time she probably was upset with me was when I was like a toddler, you know? Right. So <laughs> like when I wouldn't go to bed or something. So it, it makes me happy in some ways that 
like it was just such a pure loving relationship that I was in. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I do believe there's a silver lining on my part, too, with everything that's happened now. I think I've really gotten closer with God in my faith. I really relied on my faith to get me through it. And I think Mm -hmm. through my obedience, God has blessed me with different opportunities and different things that probably wouldn't have happened even if he was still on, you know, this earth. So, you know, even though there's still a lot of pain, a lot of trauma mentally going on, I still do believe that there is a silver lining in all of this. And, you know, hopefully when I get to the end of the tunnel and, you know, this is all said and done, I'm able to not be too emotional about it, and I'm healed mm-hmm. from it, I think there will be a silver lining in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, afterwards, what was the support like from family and friends after her passing? So, um, all my family drove down for the funeral, and the support we had was amazing. So many neighbors and family members cooked us dinners, and I remember uh, she passed a couple days before my sister, actually the day before my sister's birthday, So I just remember the next day we had like 10 cakes and we couldn't eat all of them. So we started like pushing people's faces into the cakes and stuff, trying to like spark up some joy and like joke around a little bit. But yeah, I just remember being so shocked by how many people's lives she touched. I remember going to the nail salon even like a year after or so. And we hadn't gotten our nails done in a year because we were like so depressed and stuff. But I remember going with my sister and the lady asked like, how's your mom doing? And we didn't know what to tell her. And we finally like broke the news to her. And she obviously like she couldn't speak English that well. And so she was trying to explain to us that she was praying for us. And she just kept going, pray, pray, I'll pray. And we were just like, so heartwarmed. We felt so bad. She was so sweet to us. Um, but yeah, uh, and just things like that. I remember, like, even my orthodontist was, like, like tearing up talking about her because he loved her so much. There were so many people that she touched. Um, but, yeah, even with that, like, a couple months after she passed, the wave of initial support fades away. As I don't know if you're at that point yet, but it, it does hurt in a weird way to, like, know all these people that were just, like, at, like, your place after the funeral or something they're just they have to go home and they have to live their lives too but after that support faded away my aunt karen uh lives down in solomon's and she began to spend more time with me she like would drive the hour up and she would teach me how to cook and bake and she gave me a sense of normalcy throughout all the craziness that was happening and soon it became a tradition that like on thursdays i would see my aunt karen and we would cook a meal and like have dinner together and she doesn't have any children of her own so she grew to be almost like a maternal bond with her and I I still talk to her to this day and she we talk like every week and we just uh catch up on each other's lives and yeah it's a really special feeling but how has the support been for you uh the support's been very great especially in those first initial weeks when it first happened like people who I haven't talked to in probably weeks or years were like reaching out and supporting me, offering me their condolences um, at work. People were very supportive and patient with me and they worked with me, especially when we're working with kids and it's very stressful doing online schooling and everything. They were very mm-hmm. supportive as well. And even my family too, like family supported me. People were taking me out for lunch and dinner, just showing me that they really cared. And, you know, like you said, that silence comes afterwards and that was that was very tough because it was like people, they went back to living their lives. And it's almost like I'm here by myself at night in my room, you know, with these thoughts, these emotions. And I I don't want to feel this way. You know, I I feel like as a man, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be crying. I shouldn't be feeling this way. And it was really hard to vocalize that to somebody, especially when I wanted to be the strong one, you know, the one who was holding, you know, everybody up. But I've learned that, you know, when it comes to being a rock for people, you have to have someone to support you also. And so it's, I'm still going through it. I'll have moments where I'll accomplish something big. Like back in December, I got a new car and my grandmother was like, well, you know, like, are you happy? Having a new car makes you happy. I was like, I mean, I'm happy that, you know, God feels like I'm ready for this next step. But at the same time, I'm still kind of grieving. And it's like, when you accomplish all of these things, it's like, people expect you to be happy and they expect all of your problems from months past to go away. And it's just like, no, they're they're still there and they still pop up and they still affect me from time to time. And so it's, it's, 
it's hard. It's hard, but I still try my best every day. Yeah, it. I remember. Yeah, like the first year is so hard, and I'm glad that you're so open to talking about it. I think that's a really um, important thing that you seem to be doing, and I'm. I'm really proud of you for taking that step, honestly, because the first year is hard. Like all you think about is that person constantly, and even to this day, like on my prom day or on graduation day, I'm just like. She's not here. I I miss her. I don't know where she is. Like I I hope she's like I hope she's okay. You know. Yeah. Um. So it makes me happy that uh you're like vocalizing these things because I think it's super healthy to do that. Yeah. It, I think by like the second month, I think I was keeping a lot of stuff inside and trying mm-hmm. to you know appear okay, and I just I wasn't really talking to anybody because that's something that I didn't do prior to him passing. I always kept yeah. my problems to myself or I talked to my therapist about it and not to any other family and then that stuff just kept building up and building up and then you know the week of Thanksgiving break that was just my breaking point like I don't think I've cried that much ever in my life until like that week because that's that's when it really kind of sank in and it was like you said to the point where everyone had left and they had pretty much went on with their lives and you're left feeling the pieces because even though I wasn't actively crying openly crying at the funeral or the first two three weeks like I was still affected by it and it really hit me at that point and it took a while for me to find those key people to talk to when I get in that mood but you know once I found them it made everything more easier to just talk about it Mm -hmm. even like with like what when all the people leave also I feel like you're left with this um kind of you feel even more stuck you know it's it's a really hard feeling but you also do find uh like people who are still there like for example with me my aunt Karen just has stayed with me and we've had an amazing relationship through it like um people really will come out of the woodwork and show you like how much they care about you. And uh, it's amazing when they stay, but also it is just so kind that people even did like, like you said, people you didn't talk to for years, just all of a sudden are coming up to you and saying how much you mean to them or how much your dad meant to them, you know? And it's, it's so like bittersweet, you know, it, it really hurts, but it's a, it's kind of a good hurt because you're just feeling so much love, you know? Um, also from that book that I read, like I saw another thing that they said in it is like human suffering is mostly caused by love and loss. And so I think that grief is just like such a mixture of the two that it, it really messes with you, you know, and it's tricky because everyone's grieving a different way and everyone's going to grieve somebody in their life. So at least one person, you know, many people probably. Yeah, exactly. Like. Back in January, I had to turn my um, tags in for my old car and replace it with my new car. So my granddad told me to go to the tag and title place in Dunkirk because um, the lady there was well acquainted with my dad and she was going to take care of me. But I live close to Prince Frederick. So in my mind, I'm thinking, you know what, I should probably just go to Prince Frederick. And then like out of nowhere in my mind, I was just like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to Dunkirk. And so I went in and the lady recognized my name and she was like, um was your father Lamont? I was like, yeah, that was my father. And she was like, I'm so, you know, sorry about your loss. He would come in here and joke around and we would joke all the time. And it really affected me. So she let me um, turn my tags in for free. I didn't even have to pay. I didn't have to pay the $15, which was great because money was tight then at the time. So it, it is nice to have that support. But I think something I've learned is that I have to reach out to people to get that support because, like I said earlier, they see me doing all of these different things just trying to stay busy and they assume that I'm happy but you know sometimes internally I'm not and so that was tough having to open up to people Mm -hmm, definitely yeah what is the importance of giving yourself permission to grieve because I know in this society and this world some people just don't get it until you're in the midst of grieving yourself what's the importance of giving yourself time to grieve in your opinion so luckily my family has always been super supportive and like hyper vigilant about making sure I'd be able to grieve properly. Since I was so young, they were trying to lessen my trauma and uh, make sure that I was comfortable expressing my emotions. Um, and so they allowed me to do therapy. I was fortunate enough to do therapy. I'm so lucky I was able to. And I, they would always try to have open conversations with me. 
Um, and I think that with all of the lessons I learned with doing therapy and grieving for almost 10 years, I think that like the biggest thing I learned with like permission to grieve is that everyone grieves differently. So I think that if you know that, then you'll have a more forgiving time uh, accepting people who are also grieving. And just to know that grief isn't always pretty and that we're all going to grieve at some point in our lives. So try to not let it like define you. At least that's my standpoint on it. I try to not let it define me. Um, like I said, I'm adamant on not letting my grief define me. And with that being said, like people tend to be shocked when they find out I've lost a parent or like, because I don't seem like it or I don't seem deep enough or I haven't gone through something like that or I'm, I'm upbeat or I, I'm smiley and giggly. Like I must be over it, but I, I'm not, you know? And I think that being aware that I'm not over it and like allowing uh, people to know that like, I'm I'm still a person. I'm still a human just because I'm smiling. Just because, see, like, just how you're saying I'm busy doesn't mean that I'm I'm doing well. I'm just distracting myself almost, you know. It, it's like some people just don't understand that, and I try to show them that that's what I'm going through. Like, listen, I, I don't want, like, a pity card or anything, but I'm just letting you know, like, uh, I have hard days, too. Some some years I have really good years and then some years it just hits me like a wave and I, I can't get through it, you know, like with this quarantine and all, I remember like going on walks with my friend Lily Bridges and we would just both sit there and talk about like what happened in our childhood that like made us uh, act the way we do or think the way we think. And like, it really messed me up. And I, I lost a lot of friends because of the way I was acting at that time. Cause I, I was just thinking about myself in a way that was like hyper fixated. Um, and I'm glad I went through that. I'm really like grateful for how everything has turned out in my life so far, especially with that time that I had during quarantine, but it was really hard to go through. I, there were days where I would just like sit in bed and just be like staring at a wall thinking about uh, like how, how even though I've had such a lucky experience going to therapy and having an open relationship, like, like talking with my family and stuff, uh, I could still have so much like work to do. Wait, like I'm still, even though it's been almost 10 years, I'm still, uh, in some ways stuck, you know, and I think I'll never be fully like fixed for fully cured. I don't let it define me. I don't want people to, sit there and th feel bad for me constantly, but I just, I try to, like, just to acknowledge that you're never going to 100% be better, you know? Right, yeah, I agree, and I think that was something that I, 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 I still struggle with also, is just, like, I don't let it define me. I know that's for sure. Like, you know, I'm not talking every podcast episode like, oh, you know, my dad passed away and all that. Like, I don't constantly bring it up. Because like you said, I don't want everybody's pity. I don't want anyone looking down on me if, and whatnot. But, you know, I do have days where, you know, today is just, today is just not the day. And mm -hmm. subconsciously, I may not even know why today may not be the day. And that will force me to really you know, go somewhere quiet and really think about why I'm feeling sad or feeling, you know, mad or irritable, like for no reason. And it could be because I'm missing my dad, but I don't realize that or, you know, selfishly, I'm refusing to acknowledge that because I don't want to bring those emotions back up to the surface. And yeah. I know with some people, it was hard for them to really understand because they offered their support and they showed me sympathy, but I would go to people and they wouldn't give me any empathy just because they couldn't really relate to that. And so with that, that taught me to put people in different categories of who I open myself up to if I'm not having a bad day and just who to talk to about the situation. Because sometimes my heart, my heart got broken. You know, people yeah. would tell me to, you know, stop, stop whining, stop, stop moaning or, um, you know, pouting around, acting like Eeyore. Like, you know, get get happy, get your joy back. And it was very confusing information. But once I had to understand that, you know, everybody grieves differently. And, you know, just because I'm busy for four or five days and then I get sad for one day, that's not a bad thing. I shouldn't, you know, beat myself up because of that. Mm -hmm. But Yeah, I agree. My I remember uh, sophomore year, I was talking to this, like, 
old lady at school and somebody had passed, I think like a famous person or something. And she was like, uh, uh, people should take two days to grieve and that's it. Like you should be over it by then. And I was like, that's the way she grieves. I'm going to let her do that, but she can't tell other people to grieve a certain way. Cause even today, like the, I was acting crazy for months, not, not crazy, but I was just like <laughs> acting. I was so in my head for months and, uh, like over quarantine. And then I, I realized when I was like, oh, I'm still processing something. I'm still grieving. I'm still figuring myself out, you know? Um, and I think that we just all need to be a little more accepting with each other about, like, if somebody's acting off, they're probably in something and don't even know it themselves, you know? They're probably going through something and don't even realize how deep they're in it, you know? Right. And I think that also ties into other people's expectations of grief and how you should be behaving and reacting. Because like I said, some people just, they, they don't understand it. Like prior to my dad passing, I didn't know what grief was and what it was really like. I had uncles and aunts that passed away, but nothing really hit me close to home, like losing my own father, you know, like that was the first time I really ever lost anyone. So my perspective on grief, you know, changed because of that. And even though, and even though I want to knock somebody for not understanding how I feel, it's like at the same time they they they're not going through it. But yeah, I, I just wish people would listen more instead of just hearing and then giving their own opinion on it. I definitely I agree. I think that like the treatment that people give me after they find out, they assume I'm like super emotionally fragile and begin to walk on eggshells. And if anything, I feel emotionally stronger from all of this and. It, I hope that I, I don't want anything terrible to happen to anybody they love, but one day they'll be there with me and they'll understand, hopefully. Um, and I, I just personally wish, like, people wouldn't treat me any different because I'm not my trauma. But, like, another person might want to be treated with more caution. It just, like, it really depends on, like, other people. And it's so, grief is so tricky. Um, and, like, another issue I have is, like, boundaries. Because um, in certain situations I've been in, People have, like, because I, I cope with, uh, like, laughter. I cope with making jokes about things and playing it off cool. But uh, so I'll make, like, a joke here and there about, like, my, like, uh, loss of a mother. Not, not, it sounds really bad when I say it like that. But I'll, I'll say a joke that only I should be able to make. But then my friends think it's com- they're okay to say a joke like that. And it's not cool. I'm like, don't, don't joke about that stuff. It's only like a me and my sisters kind of thing, you know, like we can make like a little joke here and there, but it's, it's not, I I think that people need to know their boundaries and know their friends' boundaries because you need to make sure that they know if you're not comfortable, you know? Right. Yeah. That was probably the toughest thing in the beginning at work, especially because there's probably one or two people that talked to me as if I was still sad. And that was great. But it was like everybody else would walk on eggshells around me. You know, they would say hey to me, but they wouldn't talk to me like they used to. And I can remember going to my bosses like, you know, like what's what's going on? And they were just like, no, it's not you. They just don't know how to you know, approach the subject. They don't want to upset you, which is great. Mm -hmm. I know. One thing with me with boundaries is that if I'm not really feeling about talking about my dad, then I don't want it to be brought up. Like, I I love my grandfather to death. Shout out to my grandfather. But sometimes (laughs) he'll bring it up and it'll just be like, ah, like, I wasn't, I didn't want you to say that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it just, it gets to a point where you just have to acknowledge and say, look, you know, don't mention him unless I I want you to mention him. Because I'm sure he doesn't do it out of spite. You know, it's just, he's just telling a story. But, you know, some days I just don't want to hear it because that brings back an emotional memory that I just don't want to tap into right now. Yeah, I totally get that. I feel like when my friends try to, like, poke fun at my situation or something, they're doing it out of love. They're trying to relate to me. And I, I appreciate what they're trying to do, but I, it's just my personal way of grieving, you know, and it's, it's hard because it's tricky because I want people to treat me normal. But then I have this issue where I don't want them to like, it's all about lines. There's these invisible lines that you're trying to make people understand and you're trying to understand about people. So it, get, it can get really tricky sometimes. Right. Absolutely. When did you get to a point in your life where you felt comfortable grieving in your own way without looking for other people's expectations and what they expected out of you? 
So I feel like I always had that option to be able to grieve because of the way my family uh, focused on me because all my other sisters were in high school when I was, and I was in elementary school. So they were really trying to make sure I always had felt comfortable to grieve. And I'm so fortunate for that. Um, they're an amazing support system and I'm so lucky that I have them. Um, so I think I have always just felt comfortable to grieve, but, um, how have you allowed yourself to grieve? Um, you know, I try not to force it out of myself. I know that's something that I kind of struggle with because in the beginning I didn't really, I, I cried probably to myself, but you know, I wasn't as emotional about it as other people. So there'd be some mm -hmm. days I'd open up the picture book and now I'm really emotional about it when let's say I have a Zoom class coming up or I have to go to work. So now mm -hmm. I'm carrying that negative I don't want to say negative energy because it's not negative, but I'm carrying this this sadness, this gray cloud into what I'm doing. And some people, they don't vibe with that. They don't connect with that. So they disconnect from you. And then that just becomes a battle of, oh, well, people don't want to mess with me because I'm, you know, grieving or I'm upset. So I, I, I don't force myself anymore, but... On my days off, I try to, you know, think about it more. Like, I could be going on a run and a memory of my dad will pop up. and mm -hmm. Or it could be a memory of the funeral or, like, you know, that week of when it happened. Just, it could be something sad. And instead of trying to push it away, I try to, you know, think about it and I, you know, reflect on it. But I also try to... I try to. I try to think of the good things. I think of that, you know, he's not he's not sick anymore. He's not in any pain and he's up in heaven probably, you know, rejoicing and at peace with himself. So I always try to think of the good. It's definitely hard, especially when I miss him so much and I wish he was, you know, here with me still. But on my days off, I give that time to myself. And mm -hmm. if I'm really emotional, I'll just reach out to somebody at the end of the day and cry my eyes out. And then yeah. I'll just, I'll go to sleep and I'll wake up fine in the morning. Like, yeah, the, it's like the Bible says, when there's weeping at night, joy comes in the morning. So I always find yeah. that joy in the morning when I finish crying about my dad yeah it's super tricky because some some days like I remember I would just be so normal and then the next day I'd be like at my friend's house and then something would trigger something in me that would make me just all of a sudden start like like crying like sobbing and I'd have to leave or something you know um I always had issues with like <laughs> I controlling it I guess um I think that I think I obviously now have a really good understanding of it but at first it was just really hard um because sometimes I just you it's hard when you've had all these amazing memories with somebody and then they just end you can't have any more it's so cruel you know I you wish you could have more memories but that's the only thing that stops you know they're still there though you know yeah, they are. And it's like, you got, you only got 10 years with your mother. Like, I can sit here and crow that I only got 20 years with my dad, but you only had 10 and you lost her as a child. Like, I can only imagine, I can't even imagine losing my dad as a child because he was such an integral part of my childhood. So, I mean, kudos to you for your bravery and getting through school during that time. I'm, I'm really glad we're having this conversation because I do think it is interesting that we do come from different places, um, like with the 10 year separation, I think it's really interesting to like see the differences in the way we're like thinking and like the way that we uh, like are mentally like figuring out our grief, you know, because when I was younger, I didn't know how I was like, I, I didn't figure it out. I just kind of sat there and told people how I felt and tried to like move on. But it, there were a bunch of like weird things that uh, occurred because of that. Like I, uh, began to not be able to sleep at night. I had really bad insomnia. I actually had insomnia before my mom passed away, but, and I remember being like four or so and telling her, can I have a sleeping pill? I can't sleep. And she was like, no, you're three, you'll die. <laughs> you can't have one. But I remember like a couple of months before like her accident, I went to the children's hospital and I got a diagnosis on my sleeping disorder uh, because it was so bad. But um, with that, I like, it's just interesting because from my insomnia, I developed a sleep anxiety uh, disorder, I guess. And then from there, that manifested into uh, obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD, as it's more commonly referred to as. And 
I know most people think of it as like OCD as you clean all the time and uh, you're super like uh, focused on cleaning things, but mine was different. Mine was focused on sleep. And so I had like weird rituals I would use every night. Uh, like I would have to write sleep on my hand and kids in middle school would always ask me, why do you have sleep on your hand? I'd just be like, uh, no reason. <laughs> but it was obvious there was something going on. And then I'd have to like pray and I'd have to wear the same pajamas. And if I didn't do all of that, I, in my brain, I couldn't sleep. And I knew it was irrational, but I couldn't stop doing it. And I just remember being like 13 or 14 and I had conquered it. And then I was like, oh, that was definitely me reacting to all of my like issues because everything around me was falling apart and I needed something to control. Even though I had all the support in the world, I needed to control something. So I tried to control my sleep schedule better. And with that, I became obsessed with it, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it's just interesting. Like seeing the way that a kid can react to trauma sometimes, you know, like (laughs) it's, it's really odd that that happened. Yeah. <laughs> I always think about it. I'm like, what? Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I'm glad you touched on, like, sleeping and, like, nightmares because, like, I mean, it, it ties into the story later on, but I didn't view my dad afterwards. Like, I made, I was very adamant with each family member. Like, I'm not, I'm not going in there until it's closed and then I will walk in there. And so, mm-hmm. and, you know, that was my decision because I knew if I, if I saw him in that state, I was going to have nightmares for weeks you know I can only go I can only sleep with my brother in the same bed for so long until it's time for me to get back into that routine of sleeping by myself and even now to this day like I used to sleep with the door closed now I sleep with it open and if I get up in the morning it's four thirty, five o'clock I'll shut the door and go straight back to sleep and I'll be fine but I sleep with it open and I used to have nightmares also in the beginning and just dreams about like you know him and then worrying that other mm-hmm. people in my life were gonna like die too and like nightmares are like it's crazy because your body is so relaxed that it's so stiff and it's locked and you can't yeah. you can't scream out for anyone you can't do like anything it's just it's crazy like I haven't had nightmares ever since I probably had one a couple of weeks ago but they've mm-hmm. they've kind of faded out ever since then I love when I dream about my mom and me and all my sisters do I don't know about you but it I I mean it's really hard the first couple years so I understand that it is just like a hard it it can completely ruin your day sometimes if you have a night or have a dream like that because you just are like whoa I was with them I was I felt them I was really with them um but like I at this point I'm like I really love it because I really feel like she's there and me and my sisters always talk about it when that happens. We, we get so excited and we're just like, Oh my gosh, did you, did you uh, talk to her about this? Do you feel like this? And it's, it's a really good time because we all feel super connected too. Yeah. I haven't had dreams about him in a few months. I guess it's probably been a couple of months in the beginning. I had lots of dreams about him and yeah. it was just him and I just talking in like an empty room. And mm-hmm. this may sound supernatural, may sound crazy, but you know, there are some times where, you know, I'll talk to him in my head. Like I can be doing something and I may be doubting myself and I can just hear his voice saying like, you got this. Like, mm-hmm. like yeah, like, like go ahead and do it, man. Like you got it. And so it's cool like that. And then sometimes I'll visualize him in certain ser- in certain scenarios where I'm achieving something great and it's like him standing there watching me. So it's like those things that also helps me as well. Just mm-hmm. keeping him in my memory, like positive things, not thinking of the negative stuff. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do you think people can shift their perspective on grief who haven't dealt with the loss? How do you think they can view an individual going through something like I'm going through or you're going through? I think just knowing that um, you, like, people aren't their trauma. People, uh, are going to, uh, become something else one day that isn't what they're feeling at that moment, you know? You're fine, go ahead. You're fine. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just think that, um, oh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, now you're good. <laughs> do you, do you have a, uh, I don't know. I think that you would, like, a preference for what, you think about people treating you a certain way or how they I think people should just listen if I'm feeling a certain type of way I mean just yeah. really I mean just sit down and listen to how I'm feeling you may not yeah. be able to understand and resonate with it but I mean just listen to what I'm saying and then 
maybe I do need some encouragement to get on and, you know, go to the next day. But I think just listening to what that individual is going through and offering solutions, telling them what they're good at, I think that's what will really help them out and get them out of that depressive mindset. I think that, uh, like, I guess what I would say is, uh, like, everyone grieves differently. And just just keep that in your mind because if if you don't know that, like, or if you think that they should be over it, like, I remember in high school, uh, like, when people that we knew would die or something, people would be like, oh, I can't believe uh, blank and blank went to the funeral because they didn't even know him that well, or they didn't even know her that well. Like she, she wouldn't want them there anyway. And it's like, you don't know what that person feels about that person. You know, like people have like special relationships with everybody they meet, you know? And I think having a certain, like, like almost shade towards somebody for the way they're grieving is so, I think it's so disrespectful and, I just wish people would be more open-minded to knowing, like, maybe that person, like, knew somebody. You know, I don't know. Like, maybe they were just really close at one point, and you wouldn't know that, you know? It, it really, that always bothered me, I think. And so I think knowing, just reminding yourself that people grieve differently, and also that grief isn't pretty, and, like, mental struggle isn't always, like, just crying or something. It can be mental breaks. Like, it can be really ugly, and just knowing that, I think, and being more open to understanding that and respecting that. Yeah, I know the one thing I don't like is when people say, oh, you know, your dad would want you to do this, or dad wouldn't want you to do that. I think that's such a cop-out. Like, how, yeah. how how would you know what he would want me to do or what he wouldn't want me to do? Like, you're going to yeah. sit here and tell me that he would want me to, you know, go out and work when I'm, you know, feeling, like, really, like, depressed? Like, I know there are some things you can put to the side just in just so you can keep doing what you're doing. But I mean, when you're really low, really down, and you just need a break, like you're going to, you're going to sit here and tell me that, Oh, your dad would want you to keep going and, you know, keep going. Like, no, like don't, don't tell me what you think he would want me to do. He can tell me that myself. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's really interesting also, like it, it grief really is just so tricky because personally for me, like I can totally understand where you're coming from with that. But I think for me, I would be like, oh, that's so sweet to hear that you would think like that about me. And I think this is where, like, it gets really messy. Yeah. Grief grief is so tricky. I, like, we're going to have different experiences, even though we've gone through a similar loss, you know? Exactly. Um, And I think that's a really, I think that's, like, the most important thing. It's just grief is tricky and it's ugly and it's messy. Yeah. What was the one thing someone said to you that gave you hope for life again or gave you encouragement again to keep going with your life? So, uh, like, I have a story. So grief, I think, comes in waves. Um, But, like, my sophomore year of high school, that that whole year was super hard for me mentally. I was approaching how old my sisters were when my mom died, and I had just begun to, like, think in their perspective on the situation. And it was really emotionally taxing to be in, like, somewhat of the same shoes as them and realize how hard this must have been for them to be a high schooler and go through grief while your friends live the high school experience. Um, like I remember my sister Caroline had a friend say to her, like, I don't want to be your friend anymore. You're not fun anymore. And she was like, my mom died. Like, give me a break. Um, she was also around six months. I think when that girl said that, just like you are. And like, I bet if somebody said that to you, you would freak out. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that that's crazy. Um, and also I had lost like three people my sophomore year, uh, and so I was just going through it. And I remember like wishing I could go back to a time when my mom was alive and I was sitting in the kitchen and my aunt Karen and my sister Maddie were there talking and Maddie was like, I'm going to go on a walk. And my aunt was like, Oh, that's fun. Uh, I didn't know you liked walking. And Maddie was like, I like going on walks in nature because I feel more connected to my mom. And I realized that even though she isn't with me, like, my my mom is still connected to me if I do things that make me feel connected to her. So, like, I'm still with her and respecting her and acknowledging our time together um, while also creating new memories. So I started doing things that she liked doing, and it really pulled me out of the funk I was in. Like, we started going on, or I started, like, walking in nature more, like my mom liked to do, or going to the beach and running, and it really made me happier. 
um, it really also like made me feel like she was there, you know, and I felt like I felt really a lot better from it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's nice. I would say um, I think it's two things. Like one thing, like my pop pop, that's my dad's father. You know, mm-hmm. he, he he's such a strong man, and I look at him as such a strong guy. And I kind of got to a point where I was comparing our grief together because I'm looking at him and he seems so strong. So it's like you know why 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 can't I be like that? And mm-hmm. you know he's 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 experienced a lot of loss himself. So by now he gets it and he understands it, but. The one thing he told me was, you know, we're not going to forget about it. We're not going to move on like people tell us to do. We're just going to live with it. And we're just going to, you know, live our lives and keep doing our thing. But, you know, we're not going to move on from it and we're not going to forget about it. And that taught me that it's okay to remember him from time to time. And it's okay to take a few days and maybe not you know, not move on from it and not do what I'm supposed to do. But so long as I'm living my life and, you know, keeping my priorities in check, then I'm fine. And then Mm -hmm. me and my boss had a conversation after work and she, you know, she taught me not to let the small, the little things get me down too much. Right. And if I do have a big problem, you know, talk about that big problem, address it, because this is a really big problem that I'm still dealing with. And so if I put if I put this big problem to the side and let the little things get to me, then that big problem is just going to manifest and get bigger and bigger. And all my problems are just going to get big and then I'm just going to burn out. And I don't I don't want that. So I think it's just trying to keep those in mind. That's what keeps me going. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. What's the one piece of advice that you would give to someone going through grief right now? I know you and I are talking right now, but anyone could be listening right now and going through grief. What would you say to that person? So I asked my aunt her thoughts on this question, and I really liked her response. She said that apparently my dad um, had told her after she had lost her husband like, the biggest thing that he learned was don't be afraid to ask for help. And that means, like, if you need somebody to cook you dinner one night because you can't cook or, like, it, to as simple as just, like, texting somebody high just to, like, boost your, like, emotions a little bit, you know? And she said that really helped her because you can really feel like a burden when you um, are going through grief because everyone seems to have moved on, but you haven't. And also just to know that that's not the case and that like grief is tricky and it comes in waves and it's different for everyone. And you could have not felt grief for years or, and then like one day process it, or like it could hit you for the first time the first day and then never again. Or I think you said that you just weren't feeling as upset as other people at first. And that made you feel like something was wrong with you. And just to know that nothing is wrong with you. Uh, like everyone grieves differently and, like, I don't know. Um, I remember, like, with wellness, like, I don't know. I think that, I think that it's just important to understand that grief is tricky, especially. Yeah, yeah. I think with me, I think just talking about it more and like you said, asking for help, I think that will help me get through it because sometimes I can be stubborn and I think that I can do it myself, but I know God wants me to talk to other people and not just him about the issue. So I think just talking about it more will help me, you know, heal from it and it won't be as emotional as it used to be or that it still is. Yeah. I think also like with with understanding grief with strangers and stuff, I think it needs to be sympathized with, not weaponized. Like, don't, don't, like, uh, belittle somebody else's grief because you're hurting. Like, I, I really despise that. I think that if you are going to, like, say, like, oh, well, they're not hurting as much as me, like, then you're just not thinking about anybody else but yourself you know you and that's also valid to do when you're grieving I understand that but I think that later on you'll look back and you'll be like wow why did I why was I being so selfish about I mean you're allowed to be selfish when you grieve but just to make sure that you understand other people are hurting with you like if if someone you love has passed away then your friends probably are also affected by it and stuff you know 
Yeah, it's crazy how I think about other people's emotions, but not my own. So it's like, I could be having a bad day and it's like, oh, I can't go around this person or I can't be around this person because then their mood is going to be affected by my mood. And it's like, I look at myself as the problem. And like you said, the burden. But I think as time, you know, continues to go on, I'll get out of that mindset and be more comfortable with talking to people who will be there for me and will give me that support. Mm -hmm. I read something that was like about the way therapists are supposed to deal with you is to acknowledge experience and bear with you. And I think that just treat people the way you want to be treated, essentially, you know, like try to try to be as sympathetic as possible. Right. Spread kindness and positivity. That's what makes people uplifted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Grace, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate your transparency on touching on your experience. It definitely helped me with my grief and what I'm going through. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for having me. This is I'm really happy we had this conversation. Yes, absolutely. It really helped me out a lot. Like I was writing up the questions. And I was like, man, this is really bringing back a lot of emotions. And those emotions came out. But it was it, it was all worth it, you know, because now I feel more better expressing myself on it. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk soon. Okay, thank you. Bye. This wraps up the podcast. Stay blessed and stay encouraged. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.